really wouldn't hold us together very long. What is it that binds us together? Is it that we all like to dress like Ma? <laughs> it's not, is it? Okay. Is it that we all have exactly the same accent and have all had the same upbringing? No, it's not that at all. The thing that binds us together in membership at Speak Baptist Church is the faith, the truths, the reality of who God is, what he has revealed, and we stand shoulder to shoulder to say, yes. <coughs> Excuse me. So what I want to do is look very quickly at why we have a statement of faith. Okay, and I'm going to bring it to you straight away. Can you see it there? Uh, a long word starting with a curly cut. What's that word? Confessional. Now, we are a confessional church. You say, see, that sounds very interesting. Well, why does that make any difference? Well, because there's plenty of churches around that get together for all kinds of different reasons. So you can go to some churches, and the people gather, and maybe they'll hear a little bit from the Bible, but the thing that marks why those people are together is a, is a common sense of political purpose. And we don't tend to get that in the UK very much, but you do in other countries, particularly in the States, quite often a church will be marked and defined by um, maybe a particular political persuasion, or maybe around a moral issue, and for, for social justice issues, that kind of thing. So the thing that, that really gives people a sense of belonging, who they are, is that common agreement with that. Um, neither do we get together for social or communal reasons. We're not together because, and some churches do get this, we need community. Humanity is made for community, there we all, therefore we all get together. And that is the thing, as long as we just do community really well, then we're together. Uh, a lot of the time people get together with people who are just the same as them. Uh, and that's not being a professional church. Uh, some people get together just to uh, and do church, and it's built around uh, what it means to live, and, and your actions, and your works, and the stuff that you do. So the main message that comes out of the pulpit will not necessarily be, uh, Jesus is Lord and Saviour, you need to turn to him every day in repentance and faith and hope and be renewed in the power of the Spirit by him. The message that will come out of the pulpit, although that stuff may even be in a statement of faith, the stuff that comes out of the pulpit might be, um, right, we, you, you've really got to do a good job of bringing up your kids. Or you should be a homeschooler. Or you should um, uh, make sure you're giving away a good chunk of your money. Or something like that, you see? So I've, I've chucked out a few caricatures there. And the reason those aren't what we are here at Speak Baptist Church, or at least we try to not be anyway, is because of where the action is at. In a confessional church, the action is not weighted towards what we do, but it's weighted towards what God has done. Do you see the difference? You see, one will say, really, all that matters is how you live. When a confessional church says, what really matters is who God is and what he does. That's, it's not that how we live is unimportant, of course it is. But the place where the action is, the controlling element, the strong and massive weight is on who he is and what he's done. And you can say, Steve, let's try and ground this for us. Okay, we'll do. Uh, have you ever heard somebody in a church, who you started, uh, maybe you've had a conversation with you, you've started to talk about Christian things, a little bit about the content of the Bible, and they sound a bit wishy-washy, and they're not very specific about things, and then they come around and they say a sentence like this. It's not really, it doesn't really matter what you believe, it's more important about how you live. Have you heard that? That's not right. Because effectively what they're saying there is, what God is most bothered about is what you do. Is that right? Well, the Bible's message is that God and us are most bothered about what he has done through his son, the Lord Jesus. Do you see that? And when somebody comes along and says, uh, it doesn't really matter what you believe, it's how you live, effectively what they're doing is they're preaching a doctrine of salvation, not by grace, 
of salvation based on what we do. God interacts with us and is bothered, most bothers, about what we do. Not whether we've done, um, John chapter 6, what are the works that God requires of us, that we believe in the one whom he has sent. See that? So really, this is absolutely foundational. We are a confessional church because we believe, as it says there, the action is not with us and what we do, but the action with, is with who God is and what he does. That's what it means to respond in faith. Does that make sense to people? Now, because that's quite a key and important thing, I just wanted to, at this stage, just stop. If it, does anybody have a question or a comment on that at all? If not, I'll move on. But does anybody have a question on that at all? Massively important, isn't it? That's in John 6. Think about verse 23, something like that. Okay. So, why do we have a statement of the faith? Number one, because we believe that belief is where the action is at. Our response to God is not so much our good deeds, although we will respond in faith, and, uh, and, and that faith will have our working, but where the action is, is what God does. Do we get that? That's where the waiting is. Good. Next one, doctrine is for delight. Now, whenever you say doctrine, people just go, ooh. Mainly because they know people who are doctrinaire. Doctrinaire means that you sort of, you're very particular about what's right and what's wrong, and you're not slow to let other people know, and so all you ever want to do is sit down and, and, and check people out. And you're like, so you, and you, you've been in those conversations where you've been with somebody who's doctrinaire, and what they do is, you think you're having a conversation, but really, you go undergo an offset inspection, and they're just waiting to trip you up. And you say something about something, and they say, ah, but, did you get in your ear? Yeah. And at this point, you're like, oh dear, I'm sure it's not supposed to be quite like that. Doctrine is for life, but um, doctrine is for delight, but it doesn't, and you'll see this in a minute, but it doesn't mean we get to be doctrinaire. Because the very nature of Christian doctrine is one that humbles us. Doctrinaire is to have a pride in what you know, and you use it as a stick to beat other people down or to elevate yourself. That's what doctrinaire is. That's not what I'm talking about here when I say doctrine is for del uh, delight. The Lord is not impressed with your knowledge. He knows all the stuff you know and an awful lot more besides. We don't get standing before God because we know true stuff. Anything that is ever true, it's from him anyway. He knows every word and every bit of punctuation in every paragraph, on every page, on every book, in every language ever written and whatever will be written. He doesn't need your help. And sometimes we doctrinaires to think that he does. So let's kick out doctrinaire because that's about pride, but that doesn't mean that we're not proud of the truths about who God is and what he's like, because they're the truths that bring delight. Turn over up with you, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. It's the night before the Lord Jesus goes to the cross, and he's praying. He's praying a prayer for his disciples. And he starts off by praying that they would uh, know the one true God and his son Jesus Christ in verse 3. Let me just turn it upside for one second. Okay. So, um, we'll start the prayer. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may be glorified. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life. Do you believe that? That's pretty important to believe that, isn't it? Life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. So he, he now defines what eternal life is. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, 
glorified me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now we've spent ages talking about this section. The thing I want you to see is that here Jesus is making claims about who God is, claims about who he is, claims about where life is found, claims about what he's achieved, and he's saying, Father, help them to know it, that you may be glorified. And a little, he goes on a little bit more with that, and then he lands at verse 13. And this is what he says to the Lord Jesus. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. What's he saying? He's saying that if you want to have the full measure of joy now, you want as much truth, as much personal reality, living truth, doctrine, teaching about who God is, what he's done through his son, and you want it in, in you, because that's where you get the full measure of joy. I'm going out of the world, says the Lord Jesus. What is the way they get this joy? Verse 14, I have given them your word. That's where you get it. So, some people say, ah, oh, learn teaching from the Bible, kill joy. No, if you're against doctrine, you're a kill joy. Doctrine's for delight. And that's from Jesus. He said that. He said, the more you let the glorious truth of who God is, what he has done, what he has achieved for us, where he is, this whole thing is headed, the more you let that get sunk down, not just into your head, but into your heart, and let it reshape you, joy in the power of the Spirit. Joy. So why do we have a statement of faith? Number one, because we're confessional, because we say this is where the action is. Number two, because it's the way through to joy. That's why we're so proud. That's why we want to say, this is what brings us together. These awesome truths about us, about God, about what he's doing in the world, about our needs, and about his salvation. Okay? Quickly, one more as well. Belief shapes behaviour. That's just the truth. What you believe will shape how you live. Okay? So there's, there's that phrase, isn't there? Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Where's that from? Okay? Eat, drink, be married, for tomorrow we die. Okay? Uh, if you've got that phrase, what, is, what we're saying there is, if you believe that tomorrow you're going to die, what is one option for what you can do now? Go mad. Okay, give me a pop song, recent song in the chart that's given that message. Jail, how do you rock? <laughs> okay, some people who are more in touch with, with popular culture at the moment, Kaylee, Abby, Jade, not Fiona, not Anthony, okay? Who can think of a song recently that's been out that basically says, Love me, Duke. No. <laughs> In which one? All of them, basically, yeah. Okay, so you've got re relatively recently you've got Neo and Pitbull. Uh, I'm going to love on to... I'm going to... I'm going to... Cyrus. 
<laughs> well, okay. But that one with that one. But tell me how that connects into what the behaviour is that's mentioned in there. So you see what I'm saying? But what we're saying is what you believe about life, about who you are, about God, about the future, will shape how you live now. Okay? What you believe is the inherent value of a person will shape how you treat other people. Do you see that? Now, let's see this at work in Titus. Turn up Titus chapter 1 for us, please. Titus chapter 1. Titus, the, the book of Titus was written to a church, a church planter telling him how to sort of put right what was totally messed up uh, amongst the believers at, in Crete and amongst the people there who weren't yet believers. Do you need help? It's page 845. <laughs> you alright there? Emma, take it home. He's out past his bedtime again. Uh, right, let's have a look at verse... We'll start reading from verse 5. But somebody read for us from verse 5 down to verse 12. Do you see that? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. This is a Yeah, I think verse 9 helps us with that, doesn't it? Because effectively he says in verse 9, this is about somebody who's going to be an elder, and we'll talk about this sort of thing in just a second, John. He must, uh, about an elder, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message. In other words, he knows the statement of faith and how it applies to people's lives. Uh, as it has been taught, so it hasn't been made up, he hasn't come up with some crazy, wacky ideas himself, he's taken it straight from the Bible, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine, so he can build up those who, uh, who have wanted to grow in that, and refute, i.e., um, get in the way, expose as wrong uh, those who oppose truth. Now, I may as well say what I was going to say later on, but what do we expect? When we go through this statement of faith, it is my expectation that, that anybody who wants to sign up as a member in our church will go through that, and although they'll be in the process of, of being grounded and being shepherded towards it, they'll be saying, yeah, I agree with this. And then part of belonging to the church is that you get growing confidence in it. I don't really expect average church members to be able to defend and refute things against it um, straight off the bat. You know, you grow in that. I do expect church elders to be able to do that. I do expect that church elders will be able to look at this statement of faith, show from the Bible how it is true, and also have antennae that are trained so that when they hear something that's not in keeping with it, they can immediately say, hold on, that's not quite right. Because if you believe that, then that will be the consequence. But no, the gospel and the, the, uh, the truth of the Bible says this. Let's get back in line with it quick. Okay? So if one of the primary um, responsibilities is of a church elder, they are, as it says here, not just able to know what they do believe, but also to be able to spot stuff that's not in keeping with the faith and help others move away from it. Okay? So shouldn't all, all the church members have a, an ambition to be able to do that? Of course you should. Um, but I don't expect it to be able to, be able to do that to sign up. But uh, almost a declaration to say, I want to grow in, in understanding the truth. I want to grow in understanding the, the Bible's message more. But we do expect our leaders to be able to do it then. I think we're blessed with godly leaders in our church who, who learn, who spend time studying, growing, being able to refute properly. Okay? So does that help answer your question? Cool. Okay. So, uh, let's have a quick think. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, have a, let's have a little go at this. Okay? So just for five minutes, or less than three minutes, just in your, around your tables, make sure you in, involve everybody on your table. Um, how could your beliefs shape your behaviour, for good or bad? So maybe it's honesty time. And then question two, if you get a chance, in what ways might our church, uh, I'm supposed to say, be in danger of slipping into having our doing as the place where the action is? Yeah? Have a little think. Can you see ways in which our church could be at risk of, of not being defined by what, who God is and what he has done, but define ourselves by maybe our actions and that, that, that's the place where that really shapes how we see ourselves. Do you see? So there you go, two questions, both quite probing. Just see how you get on and we'll take some, uh, just spend two or three minutes on that and we'll get some feedback in a second, okay? Right, people, does anybody want to feedback on that? We've got loads to cover. Is anything stood out in your any discussions, any thoughts that you've had? Anything significant you want to report back on? I'd be interested in people's ideas on the second one particularly. Are there any ways in which it, we're in danger of slipping? Of course there are, and this is where we've got to be careful of blindness and make sure we're being very humble and not proud. Uh, in what ways might, might people think that we're built together around things other than our hope in the truths of the gospel, who God is, what he's done, what that means for us, where he's taken us? Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's insightful. We, we've been on the receiving end of that here through things we've done. 
just do, do good us. And it reinforces that idea of um, really got churches are good people who, who want to help other people, rather than churches transform people who receive grace and mercy. Therefore, they want to. The order makes all the difference, doesn't it? So important. Yeah. I'm really interested. The, the observation you made about the um, uh, what are our dangers being a very busy and active church. I, I, I'm with you on that. We can't, we, I, I suspect, um, maybe if I was coming from outside the culture, I suspect that that could be a place where we could slip. And perhaps we have slipped, and maybe it's a delicate thing. So then we've just got to be really careful that it's our, it's our hope, it's our confession in Jesus and who he is that is the really important thing. Yeah. Do you want to move on? Just because I want to get to the statement of faith, because that's where the cool bit is. Uh, but I want to look at how do we get a statement of faith. So if you're on the second page now, uh, isn't the Bible our statement of faith? What do you think? Isn't the Bible, some people say, Steve, what, you don't need a statement of faith, you've got a Bible. Is that right? It's just a bit big. Now, the, the interesting thing that we need to recognise is that Anthony's dead right, but we need to... So, what is the Bible? The Bible isn't a statement of faith. The Bible is a covenant book, God preaching to us a message about himself and us and calling us to respond. So, does it contain statements of faith? Yes. Does it contain statements about truth? Well, Jesus seems to think so. But what happens when we open the Bible is more is going on than that. Okay? So what is the actual statement, of, what is a statement of faith? It's a series of assertions about what is true and right about the world. So it's not comprehensive about everything that the Lord has to say to the world. So usually in a statement of faith, you don't find much about how it's a wise way to parent your kids if you're a Christian, or how you should think about spending your money. Now those, the Lord does speak into all those topics, doesn't he, through his word, the Bible. But those, if you like, are our workings of truths about who God is. You see that? So if you like, one, a statement of faith is some statements of theological reality. The practical side of that, practical theology, gets worked out in the way we do fellowship and discipleship together. So first of all, the thing I need to say is from the Bible, but it's not the whole of the Bible's message, and it's trying to do something a little bit different to what the Bible is trying to do. The other thing we ought to spot is that the, a statement of faith draws out um, and... Uh, reverse that statement in a different way. We don't just believe everything that the Bible says, if you're a Bible-believing Christian. You believe everything the Bible says in the proportion that the Bible says it. So there are a couple of spots where Paul talks about a theology of hats. Okay? But compared to the amount of times that the word is salvation or Lord, you've got salvation that hats talked about twice, or head coverings talked about twice, pretty much. And you've got the Lord and salvation are virtually in every paragraph. We believe the Bible and we want our statement of faith to reflect the Bible in the proportion with which the Bible speaks about stuff. Does that make sense? So, when we, in a minute, read through this statement of faith, you ought to be able to recognise that virtually every, all the topics there come up page after page after page after page. After page after the big, core, central truths. Okay? So, if that's... First of all, we want to say that the statement of faith is from the Bible, but it's not comprehensive and it's not practical theology. Big, strong assertions, statements about what we believe. Uh, it's not even preaching, like the Bible is actually a book preached, saying, you know, the Lord drawing us and calling us. It's a covenant book, the Bible. Um, where do we get the, where and why do we get statements of faith? Well, I've got, you've got a little bit of a history lesson here, which is good. Uh, way back in the early church, before they formally had all the Bible, they had churches breaking out all over the known world and they'd have different people going and visiting and they'd have visiting speakers there. And because they didn't carry a Bible with them, they would 
was able to say anything that they jolly well pleased. So at the end of the second century, a lot of the, the, the central key church leaders got together to say, we need to summarise um, a lot of the teaching that is coming, that, you know, the, uh, the letters from the Bible, the Gospels, they were being sent around, but we need to summarise it so you can check somebody off to make sure they're not dodging. So between the years, you know, approximately in the 200s, 300s and 400s, there was a series of what's called creeds, summaries of key Christian doctrine that came out. And most of the time when they came out, they came out in response to a wrong teaching about something. So in, the, in that period, there's an awful lot of what was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a teaching that basically the place where the action is in terms of personhood is, is spiritual. Um, the true and living God isn't that bothered with the material and the physical. So they, the, the result of that was the Christian teachers who grabbed a hold of a bit of Gnosticism, mixed it with Jesus, and they started going around teaching people that Jesus, um, he only rose from the dead metaphorically. Uh, he, it was a spirit, sorry, the physical was a, was, um, that was only metaphoric, it was really actually just a spiritual raising, because spiritual is, is the most important thing. And so a bunch of the Christian pastors got together, they read the New Testament letters, they read the Gospels, and no! We believe that Jesus rose bodily, he was fully God and fully man, you see? And so as a lot of these false teachings kicked off, it meant that people clarified what they believed were the core central truths. And so that built up, and the, the creeds, most of the key ones in Christian history, were established in those early centuries. And then there was a couple of big, significant events since there that really tightened down and had a big effect on our understanding of our statements of faith. The first was the Reformation. Do you remember the Catholic Church was very prominent over most of the world? It was similar, uh, but a bit different to sort of the Orthodox churches more in the East. But the thing that the thing that noted them was that you were, the prime way you were attached to God was via the church. So if you were connected into the church, it didn't mean too much, didn't matter that much what you believed, as long as you were connected into the church, uh, what you believed came second, rather than um, what Martin Luther, Calvin, and a number of others said, the most important thing is how you're connected to God, because how you get connected to God, then connected to the church. So the whole issues of the doctrines of salvation, by grace alone, by faith alone, um, by Christ alone, started to emerge. And so, the, if you like, the creeds were, uh, were increased because of this sort of wonky teaching. When people went back to the Bible and said, no, that's not right, they started correcting in terms of justification, adoption, all that sort of stuff. And then, on top of that, about 300 years later or so, there was the Enlightenment period, where for, for centuries people just believed what the church had told them. And then a whole stack of people who came from a, a non, or started asking questions about, on the basis of, John could probably talk about this more than I could, uh, on the basis of querying where, how we actually know anything that we know, rather than starting with the Bible, people started with individuals and said, well, what can I truly and actually know? I can know that I think, I think. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and work out from there and figure out what I can know. And as that kind of thinking started to develop, it meant that virtually everything in the Bible was getting questioned. Uh, particularly the supernatural elements. So there was the rise of what was called liberal church, which meant that they sort of removed all the supernatural stuff. So uh, a good example of that would be um, Thomas Jefferson. He was one of the early presidents of the United States. You can still read the Jefferson Bible, which is all the morality of who Jesus is. Uh, sorry, all the morality and the teachings of Jesus, but all the supernatural stuff of Jesus just sucked out and removed, just plain taken away. So these liberal these liberal influences that says you can decide what you want to believe from scripture 
the virgin birth, the resurrection, those kind of elements withdrawn, and you sit over scripture and decide which bits you want to believe. As those, those kind of teachings gain, gain momentum, Bible-believing people said, well, we need to clarify this. So we believe that the word of God is um, true, and this is inerrant, and it is his holy word. Now, they've never had to have that argument before, but that stuff starts getting added in to the statements of faith. And so I've just put something else there at the bottom there. You can see, you can see secular humanism. There's been a big change over the last 50 years, in Western culture at least, towards secular humanism. And that, that secular humanism asks all kinds of other questions and pokes and criticizes Christianity in all kinds of different ways. So I suspect that over the next few decades, there's going to be more and more Christian thinkers who, because of wonky thinking from secular humanism, have to come back and make other assertions that are from the Bible that up to now we just take them for granted, but now you've got to state it clearly. So one of them that comes in, and we'll see this in a minute, is Jesus is the only Saviour and Lord. That never used to need to be said, but in a pluralistic society with many religions and people coming from different places and believing that, well, you just muddle on through, to say Jesus is the only Saviour and Lord is incredibly significant now, isn't it? Do you see that? Uh, how do we get a statement of faith? Well, we've seen from the Bible, from church history, and from the local church, the elders. I've talked a little bit about how the, the elders are helping in the local congregation to keep banging on about the central truths that are there in the Bible. We've talked a little bit about that. So, uh, let's jump over to question three. How about question four? Just for three minutes, just have a little chat around you. Well, actually, have a go at either question three or four. Whichever you like to look at, just for three minutes. Um, why are you glad we have a statement of faith? And question four, how do you think we could use it to help us grow together? Okay? So, does anybody have any thoughts on either of those questions? Anything you want to report back? Anything stuck in your mind? You all eating too much? That was easy. Should we move on then? I'm happy to move on because I want to get to the statement of faith. Okay. Sorry, go really important. I think what we're about to do now is, as we do read through it, what I want you to do, I want to do a little experiment with you, or for you to think anyway. This will be difficult for you two to do, but have a think of your own churches, okay? As we read through it, don't just be rejoicing in what's there, but looking and thinking, oh, yeah, I recently heard this mentioned from the front. Well, we looked at this in fellowship group, or, okay, and celebrate the fact that this stuff gets talked about all the time, but not in this format. And also ask yourself a question. As you read through, are there any sections of the statement of faith that, don't, that you feel don't get as much airtime or column inches? It's one of the things that I do from time to time is I'll go through and say, okay, what bits, what bits haven't we referred to for six months? We haven't had a sermon that talks about the fact that the Lord is coming, coming back again very soon um, for, I don't know, a month, then something wonky. Okay, you see that? Now, what we're going to do with this is we're going to read through it, we're going to read straight through it, then we're going to come back and we're going to go through each section and reread each section. If anybody wants to make any comments or questions, or just say, woohoo, or whatever it is you want to do, that's, that's what we'll do, okay? So, effectively, we're going to go re read through it twice with little punctuations in between. Does that make sense? I think John's dead right, because I suspect that if you read it, many of you will sit and go, I really want to know more about that. 
maybe it'll be a prompt for you to go away and do that. Okay? So I'll read the first sentence. Now, do you mind if there anybody who passionately doesn't want to read out loud? One? Anybody else? I'm really glad you were honest enough to say that. Anybody else not want to read out loud? Okay? Well, what we'll do is we'll go, I'll do the first bit of the statement there, and then we'll just go around the tables, each taking one clause. It's now Jay going that way and that way. Can we do that? Yeah? Okay. This, this statement of faith expresses the doctrines which the members of Speak Baptist Church consider um, unite all truly evangelical Christian believers. Anyone who wishes to become a member of the church must wholeheartedly subscribe to these beliefs. John, the scriptures. Okay, cool, isn't it? Oh, I love, yeah, I was like, when I was getting ready to do this, I was like, we need a preaching series on all of these. We'll do each one a week. And then what'll happen is we'll start doing one on regeneration. We'll think, right, we need six weeks on regeneration. It's just, yeah, I just, maybe I just get too excited by this. I think this is awesome. Uh, can I just note something here? I don't know whether you notice it as well. Uh, well, let's, yeah, we'll start by reading that first statement again. The statement expresses the doctrines which the members of Speak Baptist Church consider unite all truly evangelical Christian believers. Anyone who wishes to become a member of the church must wholeheartedly subscribe to these beliefs. So, you'll notice that, that this is a very general Christian affirmation. Some churches have more specific things in their statement of faith. So, although uh, we've written this in such a way that if there are people who are from an Anglican background, there isn't anything specifically about the modes and means of baptism. It's about, it says something about baptism rather than the means and the modes. Okay? Uh, we've, there are some churches that put into their statements of faith very specific things. We've chosen not to do that. This is one which we think we've kept the main things, the main things, and some are what are known as sort of secondary issues that Christians disagree, because we don't think they're um, as important for salvation, then we've left them out. Okay? Which means that that last sentence in that top phrase there, anyone who wishes to become a member of the church must wholeheartedly subscribe to these beliefs. We're saying that this is the bare minimum. Okay? Now, everybody in this room will, will have had different experiences of how well they've had an opportunity to explore some of these truths and these doctrines. But that phrase there, wholeheartedly subscribe to these beliefs, is something that we want people to do. Like I said, that doesn't mean you've got to be able to explain everything. It doesn't mean that you uh, have got complete and full knowledge. But as you listen to those, they, we trust in the power of the Spirit, they will be resonating with your heart, and you will be, by uh, a conscience that is shaped by the Word of God, be saying, yes and amen, and I'm glad I'm signing up with people who agree that too. Okay? Now, I've no idea where you are as you listen to this, also the other people on the course who are going to be listening on the tape. If there's little things in here that you think, I'm not too sure about that, and that seems important, and it doesn't sound quite right to me, then we've got a time period to work that through. And so what could happen for some people is they say, I'm not too sure about that, I, I, that's come as a bit of a surprise to me. And we work it through, and you, you by, before the Lord, by conscience, are won over by it. But if as, you, as we work it through, you actually go the other way, then you know, we're not going to flat out say you're not a Christian, but we're going to be able to say quite firmly, unless you can wholeheartedly subscribe to this, you can't be a member of our church. Doesn't mean you can't come, doesn't mean you won't be loved, but you won't be able to be a member. Because these things we hold very true as defining things for us as a local church fellowship. Okay? Does that make sense? Cool. Okay. Let's read the next one through. Uh, let's go in reverse. Can we start with Fiona? Could you read that sentence, uh, sorry, that, that statement of the scriptures? Read 
Anybody got any questions or comments on that section? So the next question I've got for you is how do we let our firm belief in that shape the way we do church? What are the examples? If somebody came along and said, uh, prove to me that Speak Baptist Church believes that first one on the scriptures, what would you say to them? So what are you going to say to them, Mark? So we, yeah, yeah. So most of our time together is spent with our Bible open, and we will let the whole of the Bible be spoken, and we will let people on their laps see it for themselves. And it will not be the clever ideas and fancy anecdotes of the preacher, Lord willing. It will be the message. It will be plainly seen. It is it's emerged out of what the Bible says. That's a good example. There's one example. Can anybody think of any other examples? Ways in which we show we believe that, how it affects our behaviour and what we do. Yeah. 
So could a, Jeho- a Jehovah's Witness church will have a statement of faith, but will that be in it? No. That's pretty important. Pretty important. Okay? Good, let's do the next one. Uh, whoever's going to read something on that table. speak about 
about, so you want to ask a question about, you want to celebrate and speak up about, um, just take 30 seconds now, a minute, just to spin through, and then uh, we'll see where we get to with that before we finish. Wants to just set on fire within you, 
and you just leave it sitting on the page because you've sort of heard a little bit now and then you haven't got That's between you and the Lord, that's not my responsibility. Okay? So as a church, we'll work really hard to offer up this truth and apply it deeply, but you can never stand before, before the Lord and say, I didn't, didn't think it was that important. Steve didn't tell us. No, that's between you and the Lord. So what I'd encourage you to do, uh, when you meet up with your buddies and work together, why don't you say to each other, oh, there's a sentence that looks really awesome, but I don't really quite get it. Why don't we together go look into it and turn it to worship and maybe go and do a bit of feedback or something like that. Or if, if, if in your, your, uh, your buddy group when you meet up, uh, there's, there's bits that you think, uh, I, I'm not convinced about that, then I'd say to you, to start off with, you start looking into it. Of course, me and Anthony would love to help with that, and it could be that we give you a little book, uh, but I won't, I won't respond if you're just like, if you're slapdash about it. If you're just like, oh, Steve, give us a couple of sentences. With all due respect, you treat the Word of God and these things as precious, as gold to be hunted down. So if I, if I sort of give you a printout that's four pages long, and say, oh, just give me a you just tell me, no, this is God's Word, this is truth. You, if you're going to ask me to look at it, I'm going to look into it properly, because that's what it warrants. Yeah? Okay? Uh, why? Because this is, this is truth for life. Maybe two of you would just uh, say thank you to the Lord for that. A couple of people pray, then I'll finish. Would that be right? Thank you that as we read them and read, heard them read to us today, many of them sort of filled us with hope. Um, many of them, as we, as we looked, we felt like we, we wanted to know more of it, how it shapes us, and how it will change us, and how, how it's an expression of your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that in the power of the Spirit, when your people hear your truth, it excites them. And we pray, Lord, that we'd be a church that's more and more excited by the, these things. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be captive to these wonderful truths. We pray that we would work it out, loving and caring and serving one another. Uh, we pray that as we see these truths, we would be greatly humbled and you would keep us from ever being critical or cruel or being proud or simply being smug because of stuff from you that you've given us freely and we use it as a way to, to build one up on somebody else. And we pray, Lord, that we would be the most humble of people as we get to look at this wonderful truth. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.